Hey everyone, welcome to the last episode of Gang Green and Goudreau for the regular season of 2022-2023. It's Goudreau here, wishing you all a very happy day. And yeah, I'm not going to open this show with a whole lot of preamble, because I got a whole lot to say, and not a lot of time to do it. Largely because the boys and I are taping three men in a retrospective doubling up tonight, so... I want to save some energy for that, but as I sit here on what is the first week without the Jets being on my television, playing on a field, I sit here in reflection. This is something I do a lot, especially as a father, (laughs) when there's not a lot of time for yourself. And I look at the big picture. Because to be perfectly honest, I don't have a lot to say about this game. It was as ugly, as repulsive, as offensively disgraceful as you would imagine a game where Joe Flacco is under center. Four-fifths of his offensive line are backups against a team in Miami who is starting Skylar Thompson. And Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill on one ankle apiece. And maybe, just maybe, a team in Miami that didn't want to make the playoffs. But here is why I sit here in frustration. Because of what I watched on Sunday. Because the Jets went into this game with nothing to play for. The playoff dream was over. All they could do was play spoiler to a division rival. And I'm going to compare... What I watched on Sunday to another game I watched on Sunday with a team that was also eliminated for playoff contention, playing a division rival, trying to play spoiler, the Detroit Lions. It was night and day, and I don't just say that because Detroit was playing on the Sunday night game. Watching the effort, watching the coaching, watching the demeanor of the Lions and the Jets could not be more of a stark contrast. The Lions looked energetic. They were physical, and they were the better team against a Packer team with their season on the line. And then there's the Jets, who looked cathartic, sluggish, zombie-like. About as interested to play football as I would be to suit up and go on the field. And that is a reflection on this coaching staff. That is a reflection on these players the Jets might as well have thrown their hands up and said, we're not going to try. We have no chance with this old line with the walking statue Joe Flacco. And it also speaks a lot to this coaching staff that they did not play Zach Wilson, even though he was listed as the backup. No point was he considered to go in. And the fact that he did not start a meaningless game tells you everything you need to know about how this team views number two. They might literally view him as number two. So it was a waste of my time. And I'm used to losing. Look, I've been a Jet fan since 1993. I turned 30 this year, which I can't believe I'm saying. I'm used to the losing. It's in my DNA. There should be NYJL should be on our logo. 
So I, I, I just utter frustration and chaos and a disheartening way of what started out as a promising season. Boy, oh boy. Going from 6-3 and three and 7-4 and four to 0-6 down the stretch. Just same old Jets. There, there's no other way to articulate it. So, now we get to the aftermath. Woody Johnson, the owner, was reportedly very disappointed in how this thing, and I will refer to it as this thing, sputtered out like a helicopter that had its rotor interrupted by a passing bird. And I will say this. I listened to the exit interviews of the coach and the GM. And to the credit of our GM, he sounded audibly upset. And very matter of fact, I didn't smell a whiff of bullshit on his breath. He was asked the right questions. And to be honest, he said it best. We need to play meaningful games in December. He didn't say anything about winning those games in December, but he fulfilled what he said in the preseason. We need to be playing meaningful football in December. So I'm glad he expressed frustration. But now we get to the coach. I have defended Salah on these airwaves. And I will be upfront and say I do not believe he should be fired. But having said that, let me provide some context as to what I would do if I was running this team. I'm pretty sure I'd be a hell of an owner. Because I don't believe Woody Johnson loves football. I don't believe he cares outside of dollars and cents. I would tell Salah, I understand you lost some key pieces this year and your quarterback situation was an atrocity. So you'll get a third year. You'll have an offseason. You'll have a draft. But if you want to keep your job going forward past year three, you got to make the playoffs next year. You look at the Jaguars. Two years in a row, they had the number one overall pick. Now they're division champs in the playoffs. A team that you lost to, by the way, Jets, because you didn't show up. Look at your tenants, your co-tenants in MetLife Stadium. Look at the Giants. Brand new coaching staff. Brian Dayball inherits basically the entire team outside of his draft picks. Inherits the quarterback, who everyone wanted to run out of town saying he wasn't the guy. A running back that was starting to get back to form in Saquon Barkley. He got them into the playoffs. He totally changed that team around. I don't believe it's an unfair and unrealistic expectation to ask Robert Sala, playoffs or bust in year three. 
the days of rebuilds taking four to five years are over. And Salah, on the record, said in years past that the third year in San Francisco was when it all clicked for him while he was on staff. So I'll hold you to that. I think three years is more than enough of a sample size to judge a head coach. You got to make the playoffs next year. There, there's no way around it. And this is not me being a cynic. This is not me being unrealistic. This is not me being unfair. There is progress. That's why I don't want to fire Sala. And this is where I will give him some credit as I look at this team from a bird's eye view. This defense was 32nd last year. And in almost every statistical category this year, they were top 10. And in most cases, top 5. It's a darn good coaching job because that's his side of the ball. And he has... He has turned that around. So good on him for taking care of his his baby with the defense. Because to be honest, the defense is the only reason this team was competitive down the stretch. Now, not, not to say that they played the best offenses. Miami's team was limping onto the field with Skylar Thompson. They only gave up technically 11 points, 9, if you include and disc- discard, I should say, the safety at the end of the game. I'd like to see them revamp the linebackers and safeties, but the rest of this defense is pretty damn good. Not quite best in the NFL, because I think to be a great top-of-the-market defense, you have to take the ball away, and the Jets only have two takeaways since the bye. So that's really something they're going to look at in the offseason. But when it comes to the offense, it's broken. It's falling apart. It's totally just not working. And I do believe that you can put a good percentage of the blame on Zach Wilson and the quarterbacks. You can put some blame on the offensive line injuries. You can blame Brace Hall going down with an ACL in Week 7. And he still led the team in rushing by the end of the season. So the run game wasn't working. It's all under the umbrella of the OC. I think the OC has got to go. LaFleur doesn't have a feel for the game. His scripted plays suck. It seems like they run the ball on 1st and 10 every single drive. Every single new set of downs, every time they move the chains. First down is always a run play. It's way too predictable. And he's doing it with a handicapped unit between injuries and whatnot. I am firmly on the get Frank Reich, Gary Kubiak, someone who knows what they're doing and has done this before. Because we are starting to see the perils that may come when you hire first-time coach, first-time coordinator, rookie quarterback. All those things together. Without that proven voice, the struggles make sense. I'm sure LaFleur had some great upside. I know him and Saul are close. 
But Joe Douglas, the GM, did say Sala has the final say on who his staff is going to be. And to reiterate a comment I made last week, I don't believe in my heart of hearts he's going to fire LaFleur. It's all but confirmed that they're bringing in an advisor, like a Gary Kubiak. But I really don't want LaFleur calling plays. Because the thing with the advisor is going to be, there will be a power struggle. And Sala will have to side with somebody. So I think it, it spells trouble for a side of the ball that is already struggling. Before we get to the quarterback, I want to talk about some of the, the big additional decisions that are going to be made this offseason. I alluded to coaching changes. I alluded to some positions changing. But the free agency decisions are going to be very interesting. I don't see a lot of this offensive line coming back. Dwayne Brown will likely retire at left tackle. George Fant has been playing injured all year, but he's also a free agent. Connor McGovern, the center, is a free agent. You'll have AVT and Makai Becton hopefully back, so two of your five are locked in first-round picks. Makai looks great based on the pictures we saw of him, but he hasn't played in two years. How much can you rely on him? Last year they kind of gambled, and he blew out his knee in training camp, and was gone for the whole year. So whether it's free agency, whether it's that number 13 overall pick, I think offensive line is where they go in the first round of the draft. I know it's not sexy. I know it's not a playmaker. But it doesn't matter who the quarterback is when your guys in front can't block and are not dependable. I also think they need a number two wide receiver. Garrett Wilson's far and away the number one. He's been fantastic. He was great on Sunday. It was basically 17 or bust for Joe Flacco. But Corey Davis and Elijah Moore, neither is proven to be a number two. I think in the case of Elijah Moore, they're not utilizing him correctly when he was the most productive slot wide receiver in college at Ole Miss. And Corey Davis, Mr. Glass with his injuries and hands of stone. He's also a pretty big cap hit, so I'd move on from him. I really like the idea of bringing in Alan Lazard from Green Bay. I think he'd be a very solid number two. There's rumors that DeAndre Hopkins is on the trade block. That'd be someone to look at. Because we have a number one. We have a slot. We have tight ends. But we need someone in the Z spot and just build a wall around your quarterback between the O-line and guys who can get the ball in space. So, those are a couple of the key things. Quarterback. This is the fun one. So, looking at it from my perspective, as I alluded to on the previous show, there's different tiers of quarterback that I think the Jets... Um, will be looking at, and I've I've thought a lot in the last week or so about where exactly would I lean, and I talked about this on a previous show. There, there's two, I'll say three, that I would want. Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo as your top two, 1A, 1B. I think they're both pretty similar. They both have pros and cons. 
But Lamar Jackson's the fascinating one. Based on what I'm hearing and the reports that are coming out, the Ravens signing Roquan Smith to be like the highest paid linebacker in the NFL, I think there's a very good chance Lamar does not want to stay there. And if I'm the Jets, I seriously would consider giving up two firsts and a second and maybe a player to go get Lamar Jackson. I absolutely would. It's it's time for this organization to have a real playmaker at quarterback. And I, and I say that because I'm tired of going into games feeling like I'm already handicapped, to use a golf term, because I know my quarterback cannot consistently get it done. And as a result, I don't have confidence in the offense. With Lamar, I would feel that there's always that spontaneity of a big play is waiting to happen, whether it's his legs, whether it's him getting the ball out quick. There's just a lot of things that entice me about Lamar Jackson. He's young. I don't want to hear about the contract. The the salary cap in the NFL is a myth. Look at teams like the Saints. Look at teams like the Rams. They manipulate it all the time. The Rams sold their soul in the form of draft picks to get a Super Bowl. And now they're paying the price with Sean McVay leaving and looks like they're starting over from scratch. But speaking of the Rams, I thought about Matt Stafford, actually. I think if he gets a clean bill of health and they patch up this O-line, I'd make a run at Matt Stafford. I think he'd be slightly above a Derek Carr or Jimmy Garoppolo, but he's not Lamar Jackson. He's like a B-plus where Jimmy G and Derek are like B, B-minus. Lamar is an A. Maybe A. I wouldn't say A-plus because that's like a Mahomes on the grand scheme of things. But with that said... It boils down to there's little to no chance Zach Wilson is the starter next year. Maybe he's not even on the team. He said all the right things at his exit interview about if he's if he's here competing for a job and they bring in a veteran, he's going to make their life hell. Good answer. I like his attitude. But he's purely a reclamation project at this point. And with a team that could quite frankly have the playoff or bus mandate, You can't wait for him to catch up. You tried that this year, and fundamentally, he's just off and broken. So I think it's time to do right by Zach, see if there's somewhere where he could salvage himself. I think a team like the Cardinals, if Kyler Murray's not going to play until, you know, November. With the Cardinals being such a disaster, you know, they just fired their coach, GM quit. Maybe that's not necessarily a good option, but teams like that, where it's guys coming off injuries or you have real unknowns at quarterback or someone he can learn under, like a a Minnesota comes to mind, learn under Kirk Cousins, depending on how the playoffs go. So I I think Zach would have buyers because people always want to, they see potential above results and always think, oh, I can fix him. It's like it's like women dating bad guys. Oh, I, I can fix him. I'm the one to change him around. And look, it's the NFL, so who knows? Maybe he turns around and gives them a black eye because, okay. I, I'm going to stop that joke right here. But for the, for the record, I thought it was funny. So looking at the season in totality, 
as I talked about last week, it's 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 a failure. It's a disappointment. But this draft class that we just watched for a year is one of the best I've seen in my lifetime as a Jet fan. You got a lockdown corner. You got a number one wide receiver. You got a awesome running back when he comes back from his injury. A positional value tackle in the fourth round. Hopefully a tight end to Jeremy Rucker. He looked really good in the game against Miami as a blocker. Hopefully we see more of him next year. Jermaine Johnson, hopefully we see more of him as a pass rusher because every time he was on the field, he was making plays. And with a guy like Carl Lawson under-delivering, is he worth $15 million a year when you can give those snaps to Jermaine Johnson and Bryce Huff? I do believe this team will look different considerably between under-center and the way players are utilized. But there's going to be a lot of key decisions that right or wrong could cost people their jobs. The coach, the GM, because I think he's on a clock. Most of his guys he's head on, except for the quarterback, which is the most important. So yes, I keep Salah because the team went from 4-13 and and the worst defense in the NFL to 7-10 and with a top-5 defense. But they got to figure out this offense. I truly believe in my in my soul that if this team had like a Taylor Heineke or even, dare I say, <laughs> this is like a Baker Mayfield, I think they make the playoffs. They win a couple of these games that they lost during the six-game skid. They probably beat New England one or both times. So that's why it's more frustrating and disappointing than successful is because there were there were chances where you saw they just had a goddamn quarterback who could make the simple stuff and not overcomplicate things, we'd be in the playoffs and end this drought, which is about to be the Gobi Desert in terms of lack of water. So... It was an ugly way to end the season. That that game was painful to watch. And like I said, I can deal with losing, but when it's bad offense, which is me being generous, when it's stupid intentional grounding calls that should not have been called, considering Miami did ones that were far more egregious, there was a phantom horse collar call that effectively ended the game. We had our coach burning through timeouts in the first five minutes of the third quarter. Like, this is the kind of crap that ages me as a Jet fan. Because it's it's idiocy. It's unprofessional. It's people who don't look like they know what the hell they're doing. So I know Jet fans get a bad reputation for being over-emotional, confrontational, sometimes ignorant. But when you watch as much bad football as we have, I like to think we're pretty good at identifying when it's bad. And I think I've been more than fair this season. When they played well and there were things to compliment and defeat, I did it. But I have to be fully committed with your sports team. You know, Be there for the good, be there for the bad. It's more of an 80-20 split in my lifetime. Maybe not that bad. Probably 60-40, 70-30. Basically, anything that favors that 
with the scales, it outweighs more on the bad side. But it's just to lose six games in a row and not know the quarterback situation and not even know about your head coach, those weren't the answers we wanted, even though they were the answers to the questions we asked at the beginning of the season. Find out about Zach Wilson. Find out about Salah. Play meaningful games in December. Well, all three of those happened. But like the Joker said, very poor choice of words. It's got to be like when you talk to a genie, you got to really be specific and concise with your words. So I'm very, I sound downtrodden and upset, but that's just my genetic makeup as a fan. I'm sure in a couple months, once the offseason goes into full swing and they start making moves, signings, the draft comes up, I'll get back on that roller coaster and start to go up the hill. But it gives me pause to not know if the coach is going to be here by the end of next year. Not knowing who's going to be under center, that's again another thing that I'm both excited about and concerned about because if they go bottom of the barrel, like a one-year patch job, someone like a Taylor Heineke, a Carson Wentz, a Matt Ryan, that tells me they are doing everything they can to start from scratch and be in a position to take like a Caleb Williams next year at a USC. I don't want that because I think this team is ready with an average to above average quarterback of making the playoffs. And who knows, with this defense and a healthy run game, they could go far. But it's all for naught if you don't have a quarterback who can make things work. So all in all, it's been an interesting ride to do it this season for the first time here on the site. And I say that because if I had done this last year or even the year before, I would have just been in a, in a period of dismay and grief, the likes of which you would have never seen. But there were good things for me to talk about. I thought there were a lot of good stories. It was a tumultuous season, but not entirely losing. I mean, 6-3 and three before the bye week. Now, I felt good at that point, and then the plane got shot down. But I, I think there were there were reasons why. It's it's not one of it's not like watching a movie when you get to the ending that sucks and say, where the hell did that come from? This was this season was directed by M. Night Shyamalan because the twist is they turned back into the Jets and sucked. You could have said M. Night Shyamalan was the coach and I would have believed it because it started out good and then and it was all downhill from there. And you sit there at the end of week 18 going, God damn it, what the hell just happened? So the team's going to do a lot of reflecting. I think the players are going to look at this as a missed opportunity. And I hope they use this, lock this in the back of their brains. Don't throw away the key. Keep it as motivation. Think about the pain. Think about the, the chances you had to make the playoffs. And use that to power through next season and prove everybody wrong.
So that's my take as I sit here going into the playoffs. I will not be doing weekly recap shows of the playoffs. But as the offseason progresses, I think I'll be bringing on some guests. We'll talk about other teams. We'll talk about the Jets offseason, plans as they develop. There will be content before next season kicks off. I won't be going away completely. Obviously, I'm here on the site for three men in a retrospective, which has been a lot of fun. Starting off the year with Stephen King, then we're going to Pirates of the Caribbean, then we're going to Superman. So there's a lot of really compelling stuff that we're getting to record while I step back from one New York sports team Garrett will be coming in to talk about the Mets largely because I have no interest if you ask me if I'm a baseball fan my answer is who's on first I don't have the energy for it like I do the NFL or even the NBA I'm much more of a basketball guy than I'm a baseball guy which is weird because I am not what I would call court capable whatsoever. My jump shot's terrible. I can't make a layup to save my life. My perimeter skills need work. But there will be some uh, sporty content as I say goodbye to the 2022-2023 NFL regular season for my Jets and look to greener pastures. And I say that literally as we go into the offseason, as we go into the draft, as we go into free agency, and hopefully by this time next year, I'll actually be watching Wild Card Weekend as a fan and not as a bystander. So hope everyone's great. Thank you very much for listening.